There is a, a beautiful scene depicted in, in the book of the Chronicles of Narnia where a little boy named Diggory is speaking to Aslan. And if um, you're one of the few Presbyterians who's not read this book, um, Aslan is uh, the character of Jesus in this series. And, and Diggory is in despair, and he's telling Aslan in this moment how his mother's on her deathbed, and he's begging Aslan to give him something to cure her. And C.S. Lewis writes this. He says, up till then, he'd been looking at the lion's great feet and huge claws on them. And now in his despair, he looked up at his face. And what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. Great shining tears poured from the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with his own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. And Aslan says to him, my son, my son, this grief is great. And this grief is great. And Jesus is with us in this grief. And he's saddened by sin and the suffering in this world. And he understands it. And he tells us to have confidence in him. For he has overcome the world. And this is a hard day for all of us. Um, you know, we don't attend here, but this church has meant something um, to me my whole life, or my whole adult life. I came to faith at this church 11 years ago, um, met a man named Bo, who was a pastor here, and he discipled me for many years, and I worked with him at a church that was planted from this, from this place. Um, in my time now with RUF, we go elsewhere, but I'll visit from time to time, and this, this church is full of people that I love and that I look up to, and so I hurt with you. And as a parent, it stirs up all sorts of emotions. It stirs up sadness and anger and fear, as Ricky alluded to, and worry. But as I've thought about this the last few days, it's created for me a deeper longing for this world to be made right. It's helped me recognize my frailty and my own personal limitations to protect and to make it right. But most importantly, what this has sparked in me is a clearer need for Jesus, who is both strong and able to make things right, but also meek and gentle, who comforts us in our disruption and is a companion to us in our suffering. 
What I hope you see this morning is that we have a Savior who is cursed and who died in our place so that even in our sin and our suffering, we are protected and we are given life. So if you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word from Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray. Father, we come to your word through your son and by your spirit to hear and to feed Would you nourish your people? Would we see you more clearly? Would our love and our trust and our faith in you grow more deeply? Help us now, we pray, in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen and amen. Y'all can be seated. So Tuesday night, I I got a call um, to to preach. Uh, Ricky uh, has laryngitis and is not supposed to speak uh, and you did better than I thought. Uh, can't speak for long. Uh, so Wednesday I wrote something up, and Thursday I went on vacation, and um, got back Saturday yesterday afternoon with the news that uh, everyone here has heard. And, and so I'm still speaking about substitutionary atonement, which is the, the, you guys have been working through a series on Christ's sacrifice and looked at his sacrifice is a demonstration of his love for us and as an example set for us. I mean, t- and this morning we're looking at Christ's sacrifice as his substitutionary atonement for us. But I, I, I went away and found some quiet last night and wrote something more condensed, a bit more brief to speak today. Um, I point that out. I'm not following along um, in the points that you'll see in the bulletin um, as I wanted to address this peculiar and difficult place that you're in. You know, as a parent, it's hard to imagine anything bad happening to your kids. Um, I was actually just talking with some friends about this um, because the first night we were at the cabin, we were all like woken up by a loud storm that also rushed through Tulsa. And I thought that someone was breaking into the house because I didn't know a storm was coming. And so the next day we were kind of talking about like, I just kind of confessed. Do you, does anyone else like fear that all the time? Um, when I go to bed, I'm like playing the scenario. Have you guys played the scenario out in your head of like what you would do if someone broke in? Um, I've played that scenario out. And, and so obviously I make a heroic jump down the hall and grab my kid. This is all in like six seconds. Grab one kid. My wife and I run into my kid's other kid's room and I lock the door and barricade it and protect them. I stand in front of them. 
I think we all feel, parents feel, that protective desire in an acute way this morning. And as I've thought about that, I realize that that desire, it portrays so vividly Christ's substitutionary atonement. For God sees his children whom he loves and knows that harm and punishment and wrath and destruction and curse is coming. Um, Sin, the devil, and death has broken into the home, so to speak. And it's coming for us. And the cross is where God in Christ stood in our place, protecting us from this destruction, guarding us from the evil one, and promising to us life after death. Christ's substitutionary atonement, it brings us a great comfort this morning in our time of distress and worry. And the discomfort we're experiencing as we're coming to grips and seeing clearly the damaging effects of sin, I was reminded of what the Heidelberg Catechism says in its first question and answer. When it asks, what is your only comfort in this life? And the response is, my only comfort in life and in death is that I am not alone, that I am not my own, but I belong to my faithful and crucified Savior, Jesus Christ, who was, who, who with his perf- perfect and precious blood has fully satisfied God's wrath due for all my sin and has redeemed me from the power of the devil. That you and I, by faith, belong to him and his precious sacrificial blood is my only protection. It's my only comfort. And he's promised to preserve me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a single hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things are working together for my salvation. That's our comfort. It's something to lean on in times of despair. And I do want to speak to these four verses here in Galatians more pointedly. Um, Paul here really packs a punch. As he does um, throughout all his letters, he is pulling different Old Testament verses and references. And here he pulls four, and he layers them one on top of the other to create one coherent thought. And the first one I want to look at is from Deuteronomy, which is rewritten and quoted in verse 10, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's pulled from Deuteronomy 27. So the back half of the the book of Deuteronomy is a series of laws as they're about to enter into the promised land, a series of laws to keep and curses for disobedience and blessings for obedience. And so it's laws and curses and blessings and laws and curses and blessings. And in verse 26 of, of chapter 27, there's a curse All will be cursed who do not confirm the words of this law and do them. And this is what Paul then pulls in to begin this thought 
in chapter 3 of Galatians. And Israel agrees to these terms, and they renew their covenant, and they reach the promised land, and they break the covenant. And they deserve God's curse. They deserve God's wrath. They deserve to be left alone in the dark, in their sin, in their suffering forever. But it didn't fall on them. God stayed faithful to them. He remained steadfast in his love for them. And this brings us back to images of the Garden of Eden where God makes a covenant with man and woman and gave laws and established blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. He says, you shall surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you will surely die. And you know how the story goes. They, they ate and they sinned, and on that day they did not die. In that place, God establishes a covenant of grace with them and sheds the blood of another to clothe them, to cover them, to protect them. In Genesis 3.21, we see that the Lord God made for Adam and Eve garments of skin, and he clothed them. God took the flesh, the skin of an animal that was killed in their place to cover them in their sin. And in their shame, the Lord God made a way to be at peace with his people, to comfort them, to protect them from their fear, their worry, their sin. They did not receive the curse, but instead were blessed. And what Paul's doing in Galatians 3 is connecting dots for us. He's saying, in our sin, And in our suffering, we deserve to be left in the dark. We deserve to be without hope. We deserve to figure out life on our own. We deserve to be cursed. But instead, we get the flesh and the blood of another in our place. We get a suffering Savior who protects and gives us life. Jesus redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us in our place as our substitute so that we might live. That's our comfort. A God who is for us. And as Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, then what can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, what shall separate us from that sort of love? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present or things to come, nor powers or height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. You know, a few years ago, I got asked to perform my first wedding, and I got asked on February of 2020. So you know where that wedding ended, um, on Zoom, without me, in a courtroom. Um, But I got asked, and that was exciting. And it was my wife's friend from college who had walked away from the faith after she graduated, and 
you know, they weren't in a church, they didn't really know any Christians, and then she's like, oh, this guy who I haven't talked to in eight years, maybe he'll do it. Um, and so they, they reached out to me, and we talked, and in my first conversation with her, I was just asking, like, hey, tell me about you, where you're at with God, tell me about, you know, I know you've walked away from the church and just in a different place than the last time I've seen you. you tell me about that. And throughout the series of that conversation, she said this. She said, Caleb, and it's really stuck with me. She said, Caleb, I just don't get Christianity. It seems like it's just a crutch that people lean on when they can't make sense of life. And I said, yeah, I hear you, Sam. Um, But you know what I just don't get? I don't know how you've convinced yourself that you don't need that crutch. Because times in life often don't make sense. And we find ourselves in one of those places right now. We need a crutch. We need the good news that there's a God who's demonstrated his love for us and has stood in our place has brought us into the room when, when sin and death and fear and worry and tribulation and distress has entered in and he's brought us into the room and he stands in our place and he protects us. And he takes it on himself. We need the, the good news that Christ has come and that Christ has died and that Christ has risen and that he is alive and he is at work And he is making all things new. And that his spirit, as it says in verse 14, the anticipated blessing coming to the Gentiles has come and is with us, is working in us and around us and through us. There's a hymn that says this. It says, Come ye souls by sin afflicted, bowed with fruitless sorrow down, by the broken law convicted through the cross. Behold crown. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Mercy flows through him alone. If you're anything like me, when I heard this news a couple days ago, the first two things that came into my mind that I want is I want justice and I want mercy. And the cross is where justice and mercy meet. Cross is where you see clearly how serious God takes sin. Sin results in curse and death. The cross exposes his commitment to justice. But the cross also exposes how faithful and able he is to save and protect his children. Sinners who look to him by faith, the cross portrays his commitment to mercy. Now, I want you to think about the horror of the Israelites awaiting their deliverance that God's promised to them from the slavery of the Egyptians. And it's now the tenth plague. Things haven't worked up to this point. And God goes to great lengths to expose to them his justice, his commitment to justice, and his commitment to mercy. You know, the Egyptians, years prior, 
were the ones who drowned the firstborn children of all of God's people. And now, since they will not relent, God says, my wrath is coming for your firstborn children. And what does he do for Israel? He provides a sacrificial lamb whose blood protects them in their moment, their greatest moment of tribulation and fear, their greatest moment of the unknown, in the literal and figurative dark. He provides for them a substitute. And they're told to cover their doorpost with the blood of the lamb and to take refuge in that home, and they will be spared. The blood of the lamb is God's mercy. It's his promise of protection. It's promise of salvation when danger invades. It is where we run to in moments like this. The blood of the lamb who's taken the curse on the cross so that we might go free. You know, there's a beautiful scene in the movie Ray. Ray is a movie about Ray Charles, the famous and blind musician. And there's this scene where he's coming to grips, uh, his, his eyesight has deteriorated, and he's now in, in this home, and his mom's there, but he's in the home, and he's now blind, and he trips over something. And he's dark, he's in the dark, and he's afraid, and he calls out, Mama, Mama. And the mom is there, but she stays silent. She knows that life is hard for him, and it's going to only get harder. And he needs to figure out his way around the room. And for a second, we're brought into the life of a blind boy who can only hear. And you start to hear the, the whistle of the tea kettle, and you start to hear the singing of the birds. You start to hear the blowing of the air. You start to hear the chirping of the cricket as he's crawling around making sense of this dark world he's in. And he gets closer to his mom and says, Mama, Mama, I hear you crying. And his mom says, I'm with you. Now learn to listen to my voice. And she starts to guide him around the room. You know, as we find ourselves in this space of darkness, crawling around with sin and suffering, would we know the power of God who has brought us into his family by his sacrificial blood? Would we know his power to redeem? Would we know his power to guide? But would we also hear his tears and know his sadness? That he gets it. He entered into our space and he understands where you are. And he's with you in it and he's guiding us through it. Melito, a bishop of Sardis in 190 AD, says this, and this is how I want to end. 
It says, The Lord Jesus suffered for the sake of him who suffers, and was bound for the sake of him who is imprisoned, and was judged for the sake of the condemned, and buried for the sake of the buried. So come all humans defiled by sin and suffering and receive remission of sin. For Jesus says, I am your remission. I am your Passover of salvation. I am the lamb sacrificed for your sake. I am your ransom. I am your life. I am your resurrection. I am your light. I am your king. And I will lead you toward heights of heaven. I will show you the Father and raise you up with my right hand. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you broken and needy. We come to you hurting. Come to you in the dark. Would we hear your voice lead us through? Would we see your son Would we know his love? And would that bring great rest for our worried hearts? Would we find refuge in the blood of the Lamb? We pray in his name. Amen.